Luke 4, beginning at verse 42. When it was day, he went out and made his way to a deserted place, but the crowds were searching for him. They came to him and tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must proclaim the good news about the kingdom of Yahweh to the other towns also, because I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Galilee. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you so much and we're so thankful for another time of worship and prayer and testimony, teaching, encouragement, a promotion of love, a promotion of good works, as you see in Hebrews 10. This is why, Yahweh, you tell us not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together so that we can be encouraged and uplifted and emboldened in your word to do it in spite of what anyone upon the earth might say. Father Yahweh, you are great. As Brother Danny said, you don't need us, but you allow us to worship you. You created us, Father Yahweh, and then gave us the ability to serve and to breathe and to enjoy our worship and our devotion, Father, to you. And for that, we are most appreciative and very, very thankful. We love you, Yahweh. I pray that you touch the teaching today. And I pray that you would anoint me with the Holy Spirit to be able to bring forth your word in the proper manner, in an easy-to-understand way, and that somebody from all different levels and ages would be able to receive something from your word today. I know that if I teach your word, that you make a promise that it will not return void. And so I stick with your word, and we preach it, Father Yahweh, book by book, chapter by chapter, and verse by verse. I love you, Almighty Yahweh. Thank you for your only begotten Son. It's through Him that everything is made possible. Through Him I pray. Amen. What does it really mean to believe in Yeshua the Messiah? What does it mean to be His disciple? Brothers and sisters, I can only imagine what it was like to have been one of the closest people to Yeshua during His three-year ministry. How did it feel to be friends with the promised Messiah? What would it have been like to have him over one night at your home and not understand completely who he was? Imagine finding out later who he was and thinking to yourself, man, if I'd have known that, I would have sure done things differently that night. Well, what we're seeing in Luke's Gospel, chapter 4, here lately, are the beginnings of the itinerant ministry of Yeshua. Itinerant means someone that travels from place to place. And Yeshua was an itinerant teacher of the law of Yahweh and of the gospel, the good news. He wasn't the only man among Israel that did this. There were many others. But he was most assuredly the special one. And as we covered last week, he was the Holy One of Yahweh. He was the Anointed One. He was the Son of the Almighty. Now, if you remember with me where we left off last Sabbath, at sunset, which means after the Sabbath was over in this context, there were many sick, diseased people in Capernaum that came to be healed by Yeshua. And news was spreading rapidly about him, according to Luke 4, verse 37. And the text says that he would lay his hands on these people and he would heal them. Some were delivered from common sicknesses like fevers. We know that Simon's mother-in-law, Simon Peter's mother-in-law, had a high fever. She was healed instantly. Some people were delivered from major diseases. And some had demons cast out of them. 
None of these ailments were a problem for the King of Kings. He'd been given authority over sickness, over the enemy, and he could use that authority when he chose to. In Luke 4, verse 42, we read again, When it was day, he went out and made his way to a deserted place, but the crowds were searching for him. They came to him and tried to keep him from leaving them. See, after healing all those people that came to Simon Peter's house, Yeshua probably got some sleep, and then he got up the next morning, and he went off by himself to a place where no one else was. Why did he do that? I believe it was to spend time in prayer to his father. Mark 1 verse 35 is a parallel synoptic text to this. Remember, you can read the Gospels not just up and down, but you can read them what we call horizontally. Mark records the same account as Luke does. Mark 1, 32-34 speaks of the same sunset that we read about in Luke 4 verse 40. And in Mark 1, 35 we read, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he got up, he went out, and made his way to a deserted place, and he was praying there. A couple things right here. We learn here in this text that the word morning doesn't always signify dawn or daylight or sunrise. The Hebrew culture used their word for morning, which was boker, much like we do when we tell someone, I've been up since 3 o'clock this morning. John's smiling because boker is his last name. (laughs) And he is a morning person, by the way. I bring this up just minutely. I bring this point up to keep us reminded that words are defined by their context. Most of the time, words contain more than one meaning. And when we read Scripture, we should allow the context to teach us the meaning of words in the text itself. I want you to also notice that Yeshua believed in spending quiet time with the Father. He knew He would face much during this day that He was alive. And thus He began His day. Not by worrying, not by loathing and anxiety, but he began with prayer. Brothers and sisters, how often do we begin our days with prayer? You know, we've got a lot to tackle each day. And sometimes more than we could ever imagine. But one way to make sure that you are in check and ready to face each day is to find a deserted place and cry out to Father Yahweh and not only ask Him for what you need, but thank Him for all that you have and praise Him for who He is and confess your sins to Him. Isn't it funny how that we think that we'll be all right even if we don't put Yahweh first in our daily life and in prayer time? We wake up and we think this, well, I've got to do this. I've got to take the children here. I've got to be here at this time. I've got to pick up so-and-so over there and I've got to be back in time for this over and over again. And we don't think that there's enough time for us to pray. Well, I don't have time to pray. Martin Luther, a Protestant reformer, with whom I agree on some things and disagree on others, but I agree with him here. I think it's a great quote. He once said this, I have so much to do today that I'm going to spend the first three hours in prayer. Now that seems backwards, doesn't it? But it's only backwards to our human understanding. We think we can't afford 30 minutes of prayer in the morning. But the reality is we can't afford not to pray each morning. It's like I've told people that work seven days a week and don't ever Sabbath. They say, well, I can't afford to keep the Sabbath. I respond, I can't afford not to keep it 
As Sister Hazel said, there are blessings in obedience to Yahweh's commandments. All ten of them and their statutes as well. You will be blessed for obeying Yahweh. As a pastor, I believe that I do not pray enough. But preparing for this sermon, this sermon this week, since last Sabbath, preparing for it has convicted me so much that I have decided I'm going to start taking the first 30 minutes of each day in prayer and meditation between me and my Heavenly Father. That's something I have not been doing regularly, but I'm going to begin to do that every morning. I feel that there is power in prayer. Not just to change my surroundings, but to change me. See, we need to be changed, but we always think everybody else and everything else needs to be changed. And I'm asking you as a congregation to join not with me, but to join with Yeshua in prayer to the Father. So when you wake up each morning, look, if you've got to use the bathroom and wash your face, go ahead and do that. But the next thing on your list of daily chores really does need to be, I've got a lot to do today, so I'm going to spend some time in prayer and ask Yahweh to help me through each and every situation that I encounter. And you know what? When, when we do that, who knows what bonds will be broken? Who knows? Let's read verse 42 again. When it was day, he went out and made his way to a deserted place, but the crowds were searching for him. They came to him and tried to keep him from leaving them. Now, that's a big difference from Nazareth, isn't it? Now, remember, I talked about a couple weeks ago how that when he went to Nazareth, which was his hometown, the place where he grew up, after the people heard him teach in their synagogue, they drove him out of the town and tried to throw him over the cliff that the town was built on. But here in Capernaum, they're different. They loved his teaching and they loved the works that he was doing. Healing sickness, healing disease, casting out demons. Freely he had received. Freely he gave. Not charging the people for anything he was doing. But telling them, come. Come and be healed by the Father through the Son. You know, these people that meet him here in Luke 4.42, they had to have woke up early as well. And the first thought in their minds was this. We've got to go find Yeshua of Nazareth. Hurry up, let's catch him before he leaves. That's what they were thinking. And we're told here that they tried to keep him from leaving in verse 42. You know, I've experienced this a few places already in ministering to people. Brother Arnold and Brother Danny were with me at a meeting one time in North Carolina. I spoke, and Brother Arnold also spoke, to a group of people probably less than are here tonight, in a living room, no more than 30 people, I would say, maybe not even 20. But when it was time for us to go, after being there for two days, they stood up with us, and they walked outside with us, and they circled around us, and they didn't want us to leave. They didn't want us to leave. I don't tell that story to try to say that I'm like Yeshua. That's not my point. But let me tell you that it does something to a man's heart to see people hunger and thirst after Bible teaching. And let me tell you, as I sat down and taught two lessons to those people, they were on the edge of their seat to hear what I had to say, what Yahweh had to say. And it pulled it out of me. The eagerness, the Berean approach that they were having pulled it out of me. Question after question, answer. The Holy Spirit was moving in a mighty way. 
It does something to a man's heart to see people hunger and thirst after righteousness. For people to tear up and cry when you drive away from their home, that does something to your heart. It does. And you know, I don't think for one second that it's me because it's not. It's not about me. It's all about He that lives inside of me. The Messiah that lives in me. The same Spirit. So pastors or those who witness, those who share their faith, I want everybody to listen to me. There will be times of sharing where people will hate you for what you say. But what does Yeshua tell us? I think it's in Luke 6, 38. Woe unto the men whom everyone speaks well of. Woe unto the men. Times will come when you will tell the truth to people. No matter how gentle you say it, truth will be delivered to them, but it will not break their stony heart, kind of like it didn't break the hearts of those in Yeshua's hometown where He grew up. The people that He knew, closest. They tried to kill Him. I've never been shot at or anybody tried to kill me for teaching, so I'm not on that plateau as the Messiah. But who knows, that may happen one day, I don't know. There will, however, be other times when the truth you share cannot come out fast enough. That's how it was in North Carolina. It could, I couldn't preach it fast enough. Well, tell me this, Brother Matthew. Well, tell me this. Well, what about this? Well, answer this question. And you'll run into somebody who desires to listen and does not want you to stop talking to them only because Yahweh has performed spiritual heart surgery upon that person. I met a man yesterday who shook my hand. And I told my wife, I said, it's as though he doesn't want me to go. And it was kind of awkward because I didn't know what else to say in the situation. Messiah that liveth within me. You minister to people. You serve people. You're kind to people. You're gentle to people. They see that. They respect that. And they recognize, I'm looking at a true Christian here. I'm not looking at somebody that just totes their Bible under their arm and shows up to church once a week, pays the preacher, and then goes home and lives how they want to live. I'm looking at a person who really wants to imitate the Master. You know the word disciple. I'll get more into this next week, but the word disciple in Hebrew is Talmud. Talmud is not a bad word. We think of Talmud and we think of the Babylonian Talmud, which is the traditions of the elders, the oral law, that the Pharisees were prevalent for lifting up above Yahweh's written law. But the word in Hebrew, Talmud, is not a negative word. It just means student or study. The disciples were called the Talmudim in Hebrew or in Aramaic. That meant students. Yeshua was the teacher. They were the pupils. And they would watch how their teacher lived and they would imitate what he did. That's what it meant to be a disciple, to imitate the chief rabbi that you were under. Let's not boast in ourselves when other people listen to the truth that we share. Let's give the glory to Yahweh. But also, let us not grow weary in sharing truth when people hate us for sharing truth. I talked with another brother yesterday. He expressed to me that he went and shared some truth with some people that Yahweh had laid upon his heart. And he said, Brother Matthew, it didn't go well. I said, well, Paul says in 2 Corinthians that whether the truth when it's preached is rejected or accepted, it is still a sweet-smelling savor to Almighty Yahweh because His truth got preached one more time. So I said, don't be discouraged. I even brought up Luke 4. I said, they tried to kill the Messiah when He taught the truth at Nazareth. You don't be discouraged if it didn't go well. 
Do not grow weary in well-doing. So what was Yeshua's response? They didn't want him to leave. How did he respond to the crowd of people that wanted to hear more? Luke 4, 43-44 says, But he said to them, I must proclaim the good news about the kingdom of Yahweh to the other towns also, because I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Galilee. Basically, he said, I know you want to hear more, but there are other people that I have to teach. They have to hear the good news or the gospel about the kingdom. Yahweh sent me to do this, he says. Now, when you think of the gospel, what comes to your mind? Some people think of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four gospels. Some people think of your best life now. Some people think about money, and you can thank your false prosperity teachers today for that. They think everybody's supposed to be rich and nobody's ever supposed to get sick. And that's a false gospel. Some people only think about Yeshua's death, burial, and resurrection. But what is the gospel? Well, it literally means the good news. But what is the good news that the Scripture speaks of? Is the good news only the fact that Yeshua died, was buried, and was resurrected by the Father? Is that it? The very popular evangelist, Billy Graham, published a tract back in 1980, one year before I was born. He's been at it a lot longer than me. This tract was titled The Gospel. In that tract, he made the statement that Jesus came to do three days' work. Now, that's a simple statement, right? What could be wrong with a statement like that? Jesus came to do three days' work. Well, I want you to hear me out here. Hear me out. Yeshua did not come to do three days' work. That's not why I came. And a statement like that in a tract is devastating because it pushes people away from the full work of Yahweh through Yeshua. See, Yahweh did not have Yeshua poof on the scene at 33 years old and then just die, be buried and resurrect, and then poof, He's gone. That's not how it happened. Yahweh had Yeshua be born through the womb of a virgin a woman named Miriam. He went through nine months inside of this woman, growing like other children. That's more than three days' work right there, isn't it? He then was born. He had an umbilical cord when he came out. He was a human being. He was circumcised on the eighth day. He went through the 40-day purification process in Leviticus chapter 12. He was brought to the temple and dedicated to Yahweh as Yosef and Miriam's firstborn son. He then in his childhood and adolescence and teenage years, and as a young adult, grew and increased in wisdom, stature, and favor with Yahweh and with people. He was taught the Torah. He was taught carpentry. He grew up learning how to love Yahweh, learning how to love his neighbor as himself, and he grew up learning how to be obedient to his heavenly Father's instructions. And at age 30, he was baptized by Yohanan the Immerser, John the Baptist. Then he went on a 40-day fast, and he was tempted by the devil. And after that, he began going from town to town and he preached the gospel about the kingdom. Luke 4.43 says that he was sent for this purpose, to preach the gospel about the kingdom. Now there is no doubt that Yeshua died, was buried, and was raised by the Father on the third day. I believe in that with all of my heart. But that's not the whole story. That's not the total gospel. That's only part of the gospel. And brothers and sisters, I don't want part of the gospel. I don't want three days of it. I want all of it. There was a reason why Yahweh had him come through the womb of a woman and go through nine months and be birthed. There's a reason for all of that, see. It's not just a coincidence. 
But what is this about the kingdom? What does it mean he preached the kingdom? Well, to the ears of the Hebrews that lived then, this is what it meant. Number one, it meant the restoration of the heavens and the earth. Number two, it meant no more war or even rumors of war. Won't that be a great day? Number three, it meant dwelling safely in the land Yahweh gave to Abraham. Number four, it meant that the pure law of Yahweh coming forth from Mount Zion would take place. Number five, it meant Yahweh's government would rule the earth. And number six, last but not least, the faithful servants of Yahweh would live inside of that kingdom. This was the good news that Yeshua was sent to preach. The good news about the kingdom. He said, I was sent for this purpose. This is why Yahweh sent me. And at this point, I want you to recognize this. This is going to sound contrary to what you've probably heard, but I want you to listen closely. Listen closely. At this point in Yeshua's ministry, Luke chapter 4, Yeshua was not preaching about His death, burial, and resurrection. He would start to talk about that later when you continue to read. But at this point, He wasn't preaching about that. That wasn't His message. The good news that Yeshua was sent to preach first was the good news about the coming kingdom of Yahweh. Now we experience a problem today because the good news of the kingdom has been replaced with the teaching that your hope is living in heaven as a disembodied spirit or soul or something. And that was not the belief of the Hebrew people. Did you know that the Hebrews, the Israelites, went to great pains to protect the bones of their people? Do you know why? Well, it's because they believed in something called resurrection. The Hebrews had two burials. The first burial was generally in a tomb. The second took place after the body decayed, the flesh decayed, and it left the skeleton. The bones then would be carefully disassembled and placed into a small box, at which point it will be transferred to a family tomb with other boxes of people's bones who had died in that family line. And this is why Joseph said this in Genesis chapter 50, verses 24 through 25. Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but Elohim will certainly come to your aid and bring you up from this land, to the land he promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So Joseph made the Israelites take an oath. When Elohim comes to your aid, you are to carry my bones up from here. Why the bones? Because he believed in resurrection. The Hebrews believed in Ezekiel's prophecy in chapter 37, usually called the Valley of the Dry Bones, where all these dead bones, these skeletons are laying everywhere in this valley. And Yahweh speaks to Ezekiel the prophet about the bones of the Israelites laying there, being rejoined, and He places new tendons on them, new flesh on them, new breath within them, and new life within them, and that's the resurrection. And then, after the resurrection to immortality, is life in the kingdom of Yahweh. But all of this has been replaced with the going to heaven doctrine. And thus we hear very little, if any, of the good news of the coming kingdom. Listen, brothers and sisters, our hope is not in disembodiment, living as a disembodied soul and playing a harp on a cloud. That's not our hope. Our hope is in being resurrected and obtaining a new body from the Father, just like Yeshua resurrected from the dead. See, what happened to Him will happen to those who die in Him, the dead in Christ. The dead in Christ. Read about it in 1 Thessalonians 4. The dead in Christ. Just as Yahweh raised Yeshua up from the dead, He will also raise us up at the second coming. 
We'll receive an immortal body. Just like Yeshua received it. It's beautiful. Now, our Messiah did not have time for His flesh to decay. That was a promise that He had from the Father in the book of Psalms. His flesh would not see corruption. It wouldn't. But nonetheless, He did obtain a new immortal body on the 16th day of the month of Aviv, which was the third day after the Passover. And let me tell you this, brothers and sisters, He is still in that body up in heaven with the Father right now. And he's awaiting His Father's instructions for His return, and He will never lose that body. He'll never lose that body. He'll be in that body in the kingdom, the millennium, and then in the final new heavens and new earth after the thousand years. And just like Yahweh raised His Son up from the dead, Yahweh will raise from the dead all those who have fallen asleep and are at peace in the Messiah. At this point, the kingdom will commence, and Matthew 5, verse 5, will become a reality where it says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The earth. The kingdom of heaven is not in heaven. It's coming down here on the new earth. We'll be walking and talking. We'll be human beings. We'll be glorified humans, but human nonetheless. And Yahweh's government will be the supreme law of the land. Isn't that great? There will be no more war. There will be no more waking up and hearing about rapists or murders. None of that will be going on. Nothing defiled will enter into that kingdom. There will be the peace of Yahweh over the earth, and Yeshua will be the king of that kingdom. And during this time, Satan and his cohorts will be bound for 1,000 years. And they will be unable to practice any deception upon anybody in that kingdom. You can read about that in Revelation 21 through 3. Brothers and sisters, this is what Yeshua was preaching in Capernaum. This is why he was sent. He needed, he told the people, I'd love to stay here with you, but I've got to go tell the other towns about this message. Because you always sent me to do this. I'm an itinerant preacher. I don't stay in one place. I go around preaching the good news about the kingdom. Now, in one sense, the kingdom came with Yeshua right then. But in another sense, we wait still yet for the kingdom to come. Let me explain. Think about this. With Yeshua's ministry, He healed the sick. That's kingdom. He raised the dead. That's kingdom. He cast out demons. That's kingdom. All of that is kingdom work. It's like a taste of the kingdom. It's a foretaste. Not to mention, the king was there. He was there in front of them. However, I want you to look at Luke 19, 11 through 12. I'll eventually get to that in one of these years. It says, As they were listening to this, he went on to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem, and they thought the kingdom of Yahweh was going to appear right away. So he tells this parable because the kingdom of Yahweh was not going to appear right away. This is the parable he says. A nobleman traveled to a far country to receive for himself authority to be king and then to return. Now I'm not going to dissect that parable right now. But let me just say that Yeshua is the nobleman. The far country that he goes to is heaven. He receives the authority from his father Yahweh and the return of the nobleman is the second coming. When he returns, he will bring with him the fullness of the kingdom of Yahweh. So Yeshua would preach the gospel of the kingdom and then He would give people a foretaste of what the kingdom would be like. You got a little bit then and you get a lot bit later. So three points in conclusion to the sermon. Number one, we need to spend time in prayer to Almighty Yahweh, brothers and sisters. We need to follow in Yeshua's footsteps and start our days with prayer. I was thinking today that if the Lord of Lords 
the very Son of the Most High, the one who knew no sin, if he felt it necessary to start his days in prayer, what makes me think I'm going to get by not doing it? Because I'm way down here. Like John the Baptist said, I must decrease so that he can increase. If he did it, I definitely need to pray. Because my life is not nearly what his was. I'm a living wreck most of the time. I make a mess of everything. So I need to pray to him for his help so that he can lead and guide me. Sometimes we wonder, well, why did that happen to me today? Why did, why did I go through that? Maybe it was because you didn't start your day with Almighty Yahweh. Maybe. I'm not saying it has to be that way, but maybe it was. Maybe you should have got on your knees and thanked Him for that nice warm house you, you got to sleep in last night. And the shoes that you're about to put on your feet and your beautiful wife and all of your children that are alive and well and healthy. You go from day to day and you see them each day, but you forget you take them for granted. But they're blessings of Yahweh. We need to spend time in prayer to Yahweh. Before reading, before studying, before worrying, before eating, go and pray. We really can't afford not to pray. You know, our lives get so cluttered that Yahweh becomes a trinket on our keychain. He's only there when we need Him and we pull Him out when we want something. And then when we're through with Him, we put Him back in the box and a lot of times we shut the lid on the box. Stay there, Yahweh. I want to live my life how I want to live it. Somebody told me one time, well, I serve God like I want to serve Him. No, no, no. That doesn't go for them, and it doesn't go for Brother Matthew. You do not serve the Father how you choose to do it. You don't call the shots. He says, worship me. As Danny and Laurel brought up, you worship me how I tell you to. And then He's honored, and He blesses you. See, He blesses you. You reap the benefit. Deuteronomy 6 says He's given us these commandments for our good. All of them are for our good. He's a loving Father. He's saying, you're my children. You just follow my instructions and everything will turn out for your good. It's like we tell our children, especially when they get older and they start having a venture out of the nest. I've got two teenagers now. And they don't always understand that daddy, what Daddy is saying to them is for their good. They think, well, man, I'm bound down by that rule that Dad gave me. But no, that rule is liberty. That rule is liberty. See, when I tell little David not to go play in the road, that's not some kind of legalistic ritual that I'm trying to put on David to hamper him down. I tell him not to play in the road, children, because I know he'll get hurt. I have to give him that rule for his good. He doesn't understand. That road looks delicious to him. I'd like to go out there and run around. Hey, it looks fun out there. But that's in his little child mind. And we are children to the most high. And a lot of times we think that we know the best way. And we think, well, it'll be okay if I just worship Yahweh like this, or it might not be that big of a deal if I incorporate this into my worship. But Yahweh says, no, you worship me how I want to be worshipped. That's how we're supposed to do it. We spend time doing what we, what our flesh wants to do. And you know what? You better believe that people make time for themselves. Listen. I speak this just as much to me as I speak it to all of you. If you want to do something, you're going to make time for it. If it's in your heart to do it. If you want to watch a football game or go outside and sit on the swing or read a book that you bought 
or go out to the pizza parlor or whatever, if you really want to do it, you're going to make time to do it. And I'm not saying that all of those things are necessarily wrong, but I'm just saying this. You make time to do what you want to do. You want to know where a man's heart is? You follow his money trail and his time trail. What we spend our money on and our time on is where our heart is. It'll never lie. It'll never lie. Our Father wants us to talk to Him. He likes to be talked to. And if you don't know how to pray, just read Matthew 6 and Luke 11 because the disciples came to Yeshua and they said, Master, teach us to pray. And He started the Our Father prayer that people call the Lord's Prayer, but it really should be called the Disciples' Prayer because He was teaching them how to pray. So go there. And listen, don't think that you have to be eloquent. That's how the pagans prayed. They think they'll be heard for their eloquent and much speaking. Babble, 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 babble. On and on and on. Just talk to Him like you would your earthly father. Yahweh, I'm in a mess and I need some help. So please, rain down your glory upon my day today. Because if I take one step out of that door, everything is going to go chaotic if you're not the center of my life. We need to spend time in prayer with Yahweh. Number two, concluding point, are you hungry and thirsty to hear the truth? Are you like the people in Capernaum who didn't want this itinerant rabbi to leave? Or are you like the people in Nazareth who hated being told that they needed to repent and believe in Yeshua or else perish? They hated to hear the truth. Or are you just stagnant? Have you forgotten how precious Yahweh's Word is? Have you? Anybody in here like honey? H-O-N-E-Y. I love it myself. I drink it usually every morning almost. Not drink the honey. (laughs) Drink the hot tea with honey in it. I don't like sugar in my hot tea. I like honey in my hot tea. I like honey on a good biscuit. Love it. Ooh, it's good. Rather have honey than jelly myself. I love honey. Brother Ron, you with me? All right. You know what Yahweh tells us in Psalm 19? Brace my heart. He says, my word, my law, my teachings are sweeter than honey and the honeycomb. Sweeter than honey and the honeycomb. What about gold? What about gold, Brian? It's good, isn't it? It's pricey. You know, there's not a person in here who, if you knew, if you knew right now, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that there was a thousand pounds of gold buried underneath your car out there, that you wouldn't be sitting on gold when we got out of, when Brother Matthew got through preaching. And some of you wouldn't tell nobody about it. (laughs) Psalm 19 says, More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. That is the law of Yahweh, the teachings of Yahweh, the statutes of Yahweh, the commandments of Yahweh. Brother, Yahweh's word is more to be desired than much fine gold. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. You know, I recently learned from a good uh, Messianic teacher that was talking about the Beatitudes or the Sermon on the Mount, and he brought to light that hunger and thirst after righteousness. Do you know how when we get hungry we eat? And it fills us up, but you know what? We don't stay full. We get hungry again later in that day. And you know what we do? We eat again. That's what Yeshua is saying. Hunger and thirst after righteousness means you eat from the Word, you listen to true teaching, and you get filled and it's satisfied and you sit there and you think, whoo, Yahweh, that was good. But it doesn't last. For the true believer, that feeling doesn't last because a little bit later on in the day, they'll get hungry again. They'll get thirsty again for the truth and they'll have to eat again. Isn't that beautiful? I love that. 
Concluding point number three, my last point. Are you believing in and telling others about the kingdom? Listen, this is an exercise for everybody to do. Get your concordance out when you get home or your Bible computer, and I want you to look up and read each time that Yeshua mentions the kingdom in the four Gospels. It really was His main message. That was His main message. And yes, we need to tell others about King Yeshua. We need to tell others about His perfect life, His sacrificial death, His burial, and how He was raised victoriously on the third day by the power of the Father. And that is part of the good news. And that secures the salvation of the elect. But we don't need to take the kingdom and put it on the back burner because Yeshua said, that's why I was sent, to preach the kingdom. And I think that His followers ought to do the same. Amen? Heavenly Father, I love You. I love Your Word. I love Your ways. I love Your Son. Thank You for loving me first. Thank You for calling me. Thank You for choosing me. Thank You, Father, for this text of Scripture today. Might we seek You in prayer as Your Son did. Might we hunger and thirst after righteousness. And might we believe in and teach the good news about the kingdom. Through Your Son, I pray. Amen. Yahweh bless you. Shalom.